Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. One thing you would probably agree with me on is the fact that the tax system in Australia is so cooked. It is broken. And what I'm doing today, this bonus episode, I'm talking with Allegra Spender. She's an independent MP federally and a member of Wentworth. And she's got some ideas that she wants to have a conversation about, a national conversation, putting everything on the table, discussing it and trying to at least move the needle because there are some things that they are political suicide for the major parties, the Liberal Party, the Labor Party, and we have to have these conversations. So the purpose of today's episode isn't for me to throw gotcha question to a politician and all that stuff. No, no, no. It's not even for... Uh, me to ask Allegra what is the exact answer that we need. It is just to start a conversation on some of the things that we need to talk about. So have a listen to this, forward it to a friend, forward it to as many people as possible because you need to be informed about what we need to change in this country. And it starts by at least talking about this and continuing to talk about it. It's a big mountain to climb. And I want to thank Allegra Spender for coming onto the podcast, sharing some time and just chatting about these big issues. Well, let's get into it. My name's Glenn James. You are listening to My Millennial Money. Now, I wanted to just first, if people are new to we'll even just say politics, then they're not really aware of how things work. A lot of people may have heard of the Labor Party, the Liberal Party, they've heard of independence, dare I say teal independence. Can you maybe just explain where you sit? Because a lot of people, I would think, who listen to me, maybe like me, like we feel at this time, and the last um, election results really showed it, that there's a lot of political refugees out there and both of the major parties aren't scratching the itches that we've got at the moment. So maybe if you could just walk us through where you sit and why you chose to run as an independent even. Sure. Thank you. Well, look, my seat is Wentworth, which is basically, think of Bondi Beach and outwards in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. It's a traditionally really a liberal seat. And why I decided to run as an independent was really because I thought that the major parties were not standing up for the values of my community and me. And there was a guy in Bondi who I met, this guy called Sean, and he put it really nicely because I asked him, what's important to you? And he said, look, he said, I care about the natural environment. You know, I want to pass that on to my kids. 
He said, I want to live in a kind society. I want us to treat each other decently. And he said, and I'm a small business owner, and that's also really important. And I think that actually really captures a lot of what people in my area care about. They care about decency, they care about fairness, they care about the environment, but they're also realistic that you have to make the economy work to pay for all the things that you want. And I think, you know, particularly in relation to climate action, particularly in relation to women, but also about long-term decision-making, I think a lot of people felt like they're not being listened to. And I I think particularly more than anything, it's I think some of the younger generations who feel that, you know, they're facing high hex debts, they're facing the burden and cost of climate action, they're facing a tax system and a housing system that just seems to be geared really away from them. And they feel like they're making all the right choices and getting really nothing in return. And I think that's also a big reason, you know, certainly a big reason why I stood, um, but also I think a big reason why so many people I think are feeling politically homeless and abandoned, frankly. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people might be thinking, you're in the seat of Wentworth. That's just all older, wealthy boomers. But it's really not the case, is it? No, it's not. We've got about 40% of the community rents in Wentworth. So it's one of the biggest in in, in the country. About 60% live in apartments or strata buildings. So it is much more diverse than you know than you might sort of read about perhaps in the papers. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for just giving us a a bit of a lay of the land. Let's get into the the sexy taxi stuff, right? This is all, (laughs) this is what we're here to talk about. We're talking about the big stuff. Now, the reason I wanted to get you on was to talk about what you've proposed or things that you've Mm -hmm. been talking about uh, in recent time. And for everyone listening, we are recording this on the 18th of September and it will go live on the 20th of September. So I just need to date stamp these in case someone listens to it in a year's time and he's outraged. (laughs) But we're talking about the lay of the land today. So what Mm -hmm. are you looking at doing? Look, I think that the tax system is not serving us, to be honest. And some of the big reasons that I think that it's not serving us were really highlighted in a a report that came out recently called the Intergenerational Report. And that basically said, look, what's the country going to look like in 40 years' time? And the messages were, well, they're going to be fewer working-age people, so fewer people who are working having to support more people who are older. We're going to have big climate costs. We're going to have low productivity, which means, which is actually really important for growth, you know, and we're also going to be sort of facing big pushes on on our budget for things like um, defence, NDIS, aged care, so and health. So these are kind of what's happening, and that's a lot got a lot of people concerned. But I think the point I'm trying to make is actually we should be worried now on all those issues um, because we do already have fewer younger people working compared to older people. So back in about 2000, there are about five working age people for every person over 65. Now it's around four. In 20 years' time, it's going to be about three. So we're relying more and more on on young people already um, who are working. The second piece is we already know the costs of climate change. You know, it was, I think, last, the, in 2021, 2022, uh, it was a $17 billion worth of costs, um, the cost of natural disasters that have been exacerbated by, by climate change. We're already facing those. Um, but we're also facing this productivity growth problem. And you know, productivity growth is basically, you know, having how you get a person and capital, uh, you know, maybe it's technology or whatever, coming together and, and what you get out of it. And if you can't grow productivity, then you don't grow wages. And so I'm saying already we've got problems. And what probably the one of the worst aspects of it is, is that it's particularly falling on younger generations. 
So one of the stats I saw, which was most, I think, frightening and one of the reasons why I think it's really important we look at tax now, is because between 2004 and 2016, the average household who was over 65 got about 50% wealthier. The average household who was younger than 35 barely changed its wealth at all. And so what's happening is older people are effectively getting richer in a way that younger people are just not catching up. And, and I think that's what it feels like on the ground, mm-hmm. but it's also borne out in the statistics. And so we've got tax systems and housing systems that are geared away from people, um, particularly younger people, being able to have the same quality of life, having, making the same choices as their parents did. And so I think we need to look at tax because it has a big impact on what happens to different generations and what happens to equity, but also because it what happens on productivity, which ultimately depend, um, influences you know, how much money we have you know, to pay for the things that we care about. Yeah, and we will get into um, housing uh, as part of this discussion. Yeah. And I even I uploaded a reel on Instagram just on Friday uh, because I'm helping a friend in North Sydney look for a, an apartment, for example, yeah. and... I was looking and you've really got to have $1.3 million to even open your real estate app, right? And I made the comparison that if the property prices in one year dropped 20%, that would be really catastrophic and big news, right? Mm. But that still doesn't change the problem. You still need a million dollars to get into your first home or apartment, like particularly in Sydney and Mm. other capital cities. So it is a real problem. I really want to get into that as well. But when we're talking about these big scale reforms, like what's the process that you take? Do you table some legislation? What's the mechanics of what you can do to take to the chamber of the house or some political word like that? Yeah. Look, what I can do as an independent is Um, get together the experts and different stakeholders to talk about issues that are too hot to handle. And I think tax is too hot to handle for the major parties. You know, they, it's a really has a big impact on a long-term decisions, a long-term future of our country, but they wedge each other so badly on tax that it's impossible to have actually a a civilised and thoughtful conversation about it. But as an independent, I can do that. So I've been getting together experts like Ken Henry, who wrote the sort of definitive tax review about 10 years ago, people sort of like him, but also people from um, the different business groups, but also from the environmental sector, the social sector, and bringing them all together and saying, okay, you know, where do we want to go with our tax system as a country? What are the problems we want to solve? And are there compromises that we can come to um, which solve a bunch of different issues through the tax system? And so what I'm doing at the moment is going through that process and then we'll take that working, you know, we'll be taking that to both my electorate but also to um, the major parties and challenging them, saying, look, if we can get consensus around this, this is the time for you guys to grow up and, and deal with some of the issues that are so politically challenging, but frankly, you know, we have to have these conversations. Mm. You mentioned Ken Henry and the Henry Review that was done in 2010. I think K-Rudd commissioned it. It's fascinating to read that review with a political lens on it. As an example, every economist that I've talked to on the planet has basically said you need some type of carbon credit trading scheme. Uh, His review mentioned that. Now, when the politics get involved we call that carbon tax and we scare people and it it just ends. So he mentioned this thing. And I I like Mm. what you said in previous conversations, like we need to have a discussion in this country and just put Mm. everything on the table, 
everything mm. and have a bit of a how's this working for you moment. Mm. I think we absolutely do need to do that. And what you can learn from actually, you know, straight out of the Henry Review, Rudd put forward the mining tax. And, you know, we all know how that ended in the sense that nothing happened. Had it actually gone through, you know, we would be tens of billions of dollars better off as a country. You know, we would be in a much better position, but it was run as a scare campaign against that tax. And so I think that we do need to sort of learn from the mistakes and say, okay, if we you know, try to do one thing, often it sort of provokes a scare campaign, you know, tr- actually doing a couple of things at once and sort of looking at more of a package is a great opportunity to hopefully come up with things that, you know, where where you can bring more people on board. Um, but we also need to beware the scare campaign. We need to learn from, you know, the last time and say, let's not be fooled by that again, um, because this is got to be in interest of the whole country, um, not just on the interest of certain groups. And, you know, I think a lot of people do want that um, a system that actually works for everyone. And I've even had some people write to me who say, you know what, some of what you're talking about probably won't benefit me personally, um, but I'm worried about next generations. I actually think this is the time to address this. So I think Australians can also not be selfish. They can think about what's in our national interest, not just what's in my personal interest. I could not agree more. And I was about to make this comment, but you kind of touched on it just then. Like I've resolved in my life, I am financially successful my mm. parents, they're fine. They own their house. They've got good super, you know, they've just retired. We need to shift this mindset that if we say yes to things like, yeah, we need to make it more equitable for under 35s or whatever, like in real terms, Glenn will be okay. My parents will be okay. Mm. Like if you've got mm. lots of investment properties, if you've got lots of super, if you've got lots of income, Trust me, everyone, and I'm not being a wild socialist here. I'm just saying if there is a change, you will be okay. Look, and I think we can I think we can get to that, but also recognize people have different circumstances. And I think one of the things is like how to one, give people time to plan and adjust so that they can make choices over time. Um, but the second time is also to recognise, you know, people are in different circumstances, have compassion for that. Um, but also, but as you, just as you say, you know, I've, I've got a, so many emails like saying, look, I'm 73, you know, all these things, you know, touching capital gains tax or super or, you know, what the balance between younger generations won't help me. But I'm so worried about my kids or my grandkids. I'm just worried that they're just not going to be as well set up as I was. Mm. And that really, and that we think that's a bad thing. So I think you're right. We, you know, we've got to get beyond our own self-interest and a bunch of things. And now, and I know that for some people, it's a really hard time to be able to contemplate that because they're feeling really, really feeling the pinch mm. and you know, they're going, how can I get beyond that for myself? So I think you have to do it pretty thoughtfully. Um, but I think we do need to, to move beyond that as well. Yeah. So if we move to some of the structural things and maybe we'll talk about income tax at the moment, the Australian economy, loosely speaking, is propped up way too much by income tax. Is that kind of the consensus of the Henry Review and some of the discussions that you want to have? Sure. Look, I think that's absolutely right. And if you talk to economists, but actually talk to a lot of other people, um, the SFI idea is 
don't tax good things, tax bad things. So tax carbon, it's a bad thing. We want less of it. Try not to tax, you know, minimise your taxation on things like work because we actually want to encourage that. And so it's try, that's a very basic approach, but I think that is pretty fundamental. And so, you know, we do have, Australia is relatively highly reliant on personal income tax and also corporate tax. Hmm. In terms of personal income tax, this is, I think, one of the most important ones to address because if you don't touch it and you keep on having fewer and fewer people working, you know, you you basically end up more and more reliant on fewer and fewer people working, supporting more and more people who are retired. And so we have to find a way that balances that out because I just don't think that's fair. And it's also not going to, you know, if you're the best and brightest in Australia and you're going to have focus on income tax to look after older generations, I think at a certain point you say, well, maybe there are some better options out there. So I think it's making sure that that income tax system, uh, I think, is is well balanced. And again, you know, just thinking about different generations, currently a household who is retired on 100K, for example, so on on income of $100,000, pays about the same amount of tax as a working age household on $50,000. So we've just got these funny systems that have just unintentionally, I think, gone so that they're quite skewed away from younger working people. And that is something I really worry about. And if you are thinking, listening like, oh, why isn't Allegra telling us that we need to scrap the stage three and just have this rate? Mm. The purpose of this discussion today is just to start talking about it and just for you to maybe forward this episode to someone else and say, we have to have a national discussion and change these things because, as you said, there are less people that are going to be working, supporting mm. people that aren't working over age 65 or whatnot. And if the tax system doesn't change, well, all we have is a, a big tool to turn up income taxes. Mm. I think that's exactly right. Mm. One of the things I've been saying, and I'm, you know, I know enough about economics and politics to be quite dangerous. One of the things that I've loosely been saying for years, it's like, we need to double the GST, 20% GST. We need to double the tax-free threshold. So make that close to the 35, 40 grand. We need to double welfare and just see how that goes. Let's tax spending, let's not tax income. (laughs) But look after people who aren't yeah. in a position. So that would be increasing welfare. That would mean, you know, a tax-free threshold. And I think even Ken Henry said that we need to move to two levels of tax and a higher tax-free threshold. Do you have any comments about those type of big structural changes? And we can even move into a GST discussion. No, sure. Look, and, and I'll say, I think these are definitely the right conversations to be having. And those are the conversations I'm having, you know, with the experts, with the different um, business groups, but also with the social environmental sector. Um, I'll be honest, I, I don't have a position yet because I'm trying to build consensus. And that means, you know, listening to their different views. But I think there are good arguments to be looking at GST. And I think there, you know, you can look at GST in two ways. You can look at increasing it or you can look at broadening it. You know, in some countries, I think it was Canada actually broaden GST, but lower the rate. And that sort of creates a more stable tax system um, because you're sort of not concerned about, you know, is the economy shifting away from, you know, the things that are taxed um, into the things that are untaxed. Um, So that's an option. I think raising GST should certainly be an option. And I think it comes again to, you know, not wanting to tax good thing, which is effort, 
and entrepreneurship and risk taking and wanting to tax things which are less good, which is consumption. And like, there's nothing wrong with consumption. We all need to consume, mm. but it's not something that uh, it's a sort of that's a private benefit. Well, I think sort of effort work and things that you can do to actually make the economy um, sort of grow and be productive. Those have sort of broader positive um, benefits across the across society. So definitely GST should be on the table. And I think actually interestingly, the Ken Henry review wasn't didn't have GST on the table because the Labor Party has ruled it off forever. And I think this is time that they need to accept that you know you can't leave such an important tax off the table. Is a really important. Um, part of our system. But again, Glenn, I think you're right to say, you know, you could change the tax system and at the same time improve things or give more support for those who are probably most vulnerable in our community, who are ones who are starting to get back into work and making sure they've got really good incentives, they can keep as much money as they can when they come back into work, that is, don't have as much sort of tax being paid as they just come in back into work. Like there, there are a bunch of different ways of structuring the tax system to sort of support people back into work, to support people who are the most vulnerable, even if you are sort of playing around with something like the GST. Now, with the GST, as much as it's a national tax, it is divvied up between the states. So it would be important, like the states have to be on board with this, don't they? They do. But I think there's a good argument for the states to get on board with it. Uh, To be honest, the states have some of the worst taxes in the country, I'll be honest. Things like stamp duty on housing is a tax that by New South Wales Treasury estimates um, has re- reduces home ownership by about 7%. So it's a huge cost on home ownership. Plus in New South Wales, 40% of insurance premiums are taxes. So, you know, we're not insuring ourselves enough and that's because there's a huge tax in there which is driven by the New South Wales state government as well as GST. So I think that there are problems with state taxes because part of the problem is that the state governments actually don't have many tax levers to pull, so they end up pulling really bad ones like stamp duty, payroll tax, you mm. know, insurance taxes. I think this is I think there is an opportunity with GST to say, well look, are there ways of giving the states more some of the more benefit of of tax revenues because they're the ones who fund education and and health and do a lot of that heavy lifting and getting them on on board for that. Now it's pretty complicated because you have to get them all to agree, but I think it Again, it just it. I think it's a. There's a reason why there'd be real benefit of pointing in that direction, and I think that's why you know we should be be having those conversations. Why I'm having these conversations. So, do you think the newly formed national cabinet could be a really good gateway tool to start to have these national conversations? If at the moment the Labor Party want to actually get on board with something, look, I think it's a great place to do that because I think you do need um, states and federal government um, to work together. And frankly, I think most people hate the squabbling of the, you know, is that a federal issue? That's a state issue? That's a local government? They just want everyone to work together um, and to sort it out amongst themselves. So I think it's a great, it's definitely the right forum. Sweet. We'll have a quick break and then we'll be back for more with Allegra right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. 
And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, let's move on. Um, multinational tax. And, you know, if I run Facebook ads... You know, I get a thing on my internet banking, Facebook Dublin, you know, it's a wild time. Why is the government not heaps keen to actually do something? Because on one side of it, it's low-hanging fruit, but the other side, you know, if you've got your tinfoil hat on, you don't want to um, be upsetting the apple cart too much and can read into all the stuff with Qantas and the government and all that stuff. We don't know mm. kind of what was going on, whether we're... Uh, got to look after these companies. It is a balancing act, but maybe talk to us multinational tax. Uh, is that something you'd think obviously needs to be put in on a, and what priority? Look, I think it is a really important area. And to the government's credit, I think they are looking at this. Um, the challenge, I think, on multinational tax is trying to coordinate with other countries. And so what the government is doing is actually working with the OECD, Organisation of Economic uh, Cooperation and Development, which is a sort of network of countries around the world, and saying, look, can we come up with a, a system that we can all play, put in place and that protects all of us from effectively um, multinational tax shifting? So I think they're in that process. Some There's you know, the devil's in the detail. And so we've had some legislation in, in Parliament where, you know, I think hasn't been quite right. But the principle of it is absolutely right. I think the other side of it is also resource taxing. So I think that's another one where I think Australia is in a particular situation. And I, I raise it in relation to multinational tax because a lot of these com- companies who work in our resources are, are non-Australian companies. But, you know, we have huge mineral resources. And I think that group is really important that Australians get the full benefit of the royalties and, and of tax revenue out of that. So I think in the sort of in the resource sector as well, we need to look very carefully at those taxes um, and say, are they fit for purpose? Because, you know, had we made some changes around 10, 12 years ago, um, we would be in quite a different tax scenario than we are now. And I think it's time to face that head on. Mm. Superannuation is such a big thing. And, you know, I was a financial advisor for 15 years and for a period of time there, every year the federal budget was putting their mitts in super and and we had a period of it not being touched. And now uh, we are talking about taxing balances over $3 million, which will not impact a lot of people at this time. What are your thoughts on this? Because I I think I have a problem with taxing things that aren't realised and all the complications that that could cause. And I'd agree with you. <laughs> so I have, um, you know, yeah. <laughs> again, the, in Wentworth, there are people who would be affected by this, by this potential change of taxing super balances over $3 million. And again, I've heard from a bunch of those people who are personally affected who've said, look, we're not anti-necessarily the principle of big balances being taxed more, um, but we are very concerned about unrealised gains um, because, 
you know, you may not ever realise those gains. So if your share portfolio or whatever, you know, you buy a house in your super, it goes up to a certain amount, your tax on that amount. What happens if it goes down the next year? What happens there? And we don't yet have the detail on the legislation to know how all this would work. But I have some real concerns there. And the other thing that people raise with me is like, look, is this about tax reform or is this just about saying another way to tax people more? And that's why what I've been trying to do on my tax work is to say, look, let's assume the tax base is the same, sort of a revenue agnostic approach, because you're sort of saying, look, how do you structure the tax system is a bit different to the question of how much should we spend? And people can have quite different views on that, um, but we can still, I think we can still come up with a, a structure on how we should structure the tax system that is where you can get a lot of people on board, even if they don't agree always on, on how much you should spend. So uh, again, like I think we've been fiddling around with super. Uh, it's incredibly complicated now. And I think, you know, rather than, than more piecemeal changes, I think that it should be part of the mix and then say, okay, where do we go to from here mm. in making sure that super works for retirement, it works for people's um, savings, um, but it also works appropriately with other tax, the other tax settings we have across the country. Totally. And I, I'd agree, like tax higher balances, sure, but mm. don't be taxing things that aren't realised and also yeah. maybe index that every five years or every three years or whatever yeah. that is. Yeah, I mean, there are all sorts of different ideas on, on that. You know, you could also index income tax, for example, you know, as another way to avoid... So bracket creep. So these are the conversations we have to have and these are some of the ones I'm trying to nut out. You should be part of the conversation, Glenn. <laughs> well, I'm happy Obviously to... thought about it a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I hear from a lot of our listeners. So anytime yeah. you need a bit of a, a view from on the ground from Reality, some money switched yeah, yeah. on people, we are here. Another big one, capital gains tax, particularly on property, negative yep. gearing, like this stuff, they can kill political careers overnight, which we've seen. And that's the nuanced part, isn't it? Yeah. It is. And I think it's, again, it's got to come back to why. And I think what I'm interested in is what are we trying to achieve out of the tax system and what's it doing or not? Because there's not necessarily things wrong with these things in themselves, um, but if the outcomes they're driving aren't what's positive for our society, then then we should be concerned. And I do think we need to look at taxes in, in relation to housing policy um, because we are going to, I think the government's taking action on supply, which I think is a really good thing, um, but tax plays into this as well. I'm probably more interested in capital gains tax um, and whether that's the right system at the moment. And the reason is, this is a bit technical, but you know, capital gains tax discount, which is basically 50%, the idea of that is you know, if you hold on an asset for 10 years and there's inflation at that time, you, know, you shouldn't be taxed at the same rate for you know, that gain as you would be on your income because some of that gain is just inflation. And so you sort of should be, you should have some sort of discount of that. The problem is capital gains tax discount comes in after one year um, and is at 50%. So I could hold a property for, you know, or hold a property or, or an asset for one year, double my money, for example, and I would pay half the level of tax on that that I would on income just because I held it for a year and a day. And so I think that's, you know, the question is, is that the right balance there? And I think that's a fair question to ask ourselves, particularly in relation to housing, to say, is that actually, you know, driving more of this sort of, in, you know, focus on housing as an investment, which is stopping us, which is actually not helping us in terms of making sure that housing is somewhat, yes, everyone having the ability to have a, a safe and affordable place to live. Yeah, that's cool. I've never actually thought of that before. And, you know, all my listeners, like, don't bloody buy a property if you're going to sell it within 10 minutes. <laughs> so, if it was moved from 12 months to three years for property or five years, 
What's the problem, everyone? Anyway, Look, those, are, yeah, those are some of the um, conversations to have. <laughs> I think that's, that's again, like I can't, as I said, I'm, I'm trying to get, have, see where the common ground is. Um, but I've seen, you know, even people like the Business Council of Australia have said, look, we should be considering capital gains tax discounts and whether they're, they're the right settings. Not that there shouldn't be a discount, there certainly should be a discount, but is it the right one? What might that structure best look like? And what are perhaps the unintended consequences of our current structure that are things that we need to avoid? Yeah, and leads into negative gearing on investment properties. Mm. I mean, I'm, you know, if there was a change, full disclosure, I would be personally impacted. I don't care. I'll be all right. Like maybe there needs to be some type of after your second property, your capitalist pigs, the negative gearing goes away or something like that. I don't know. We just need to have these conversations, people. I think that's, yeah, I think that's. That was a bit of a soapbox moment. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, I get it. (laughs) Yeah. So look, it goes without saying that that would obviously need to be on the table. Do you have a particular view at the moment on negative gearing? No, I don't. Look, I'm, I'll be honest, I don't yet uh, on this. I know it's one that people care a lot about. And I think there's a, a broader piece, which is that we tax income from working in a different way than we tax income from assets. And I think trying to equalise mm. that, and even we tax different types of assets differently. That's, I think, more the kind of that, that principle level. But I think, you know, getting into the weeds on this is exactly what we need to do. Um, and I don't, you know, I've got my own views, but what I'm trying to do is say, actually, how many other people I can bring together and come up with a collective view that is based on sound economics, has got good modelling so we know how it impacts different people, um, but also a bunch of different people can and sort of organisations can get behind. And it really, everything we're talking about, it needs to be simple and sustainable. Mm. Yeah, I think that's it. equitable, I guess, like fair, simple, sustainable. Well, it's interesting, about 70% of Australians use a tax agent um, to complete their tax return. You know, in other countries, you know, my husband's British originally, when I lived in the UK for a long time, you didn't do a tax return. You basically got a letter from Inland Revenue, basically said, you've paid this much um, for the year. And if you wanted to have a, if you thought for whatever reason you needed to you know, there was something else that needed to change on that, you would go back to them. But the assumption was uh, you've paid your savings and that's how it's done. But that principle applies also to companies. For instance, fringe benefits tax is uh, a tax where it's estimated to cost as much to comply with as the money that it raises. Um, So it's a very, very complicated area of tax. You talk to anyone who runs a business, it's really complicated just to do the tax returns. And, And so, you know, we do need simpler tax rules in these situations that still preserve the revenue for, and, you know, stop people gaming things, um, but just make it easier because that's money. You know, if we're spending time doing our tax returns, that's not, it's not productive. It's not making the world a better place. It's, <laughs> we just have to try and make those pieces simpler. Well, we've got uh, five minutes left, yeah. which for the next kind of topic, we may need five hours. Housing affordability, the rental crisis, it's savage out there. It's a joke. I'm not hopeful in the short term. Mm. It's primarily a state issue, but it's very political at a federal level as well. Mm. Like, what do we have to do to somehow make this better? Because we've got an aging population. We're going to need more immigrants. We're going to need probably people having more babies. But if you don't have houses or infrastructure, it's a bit of a problem. Mm, it's a complete disaster, to be honest, and I think is probably the, the most important domestic issue um, that people raise with me, the thing that most people are worried about. And it doesn't matter if you own your own home, everyone's worried about other people. We had a housing forum recently in Wentworth and you know the top three things that people were worried about um, was housing for vulnerable people, 
the fact that anyone who works in sort of essential services can't live anywhere near where they work, mm. particularly in a place like Wentworth, which is relatively expensive. And finally, that young people aren't able to sort of get on the housing ladder or even necessarily rent without help from mum and dad. And that kind of goes against, I think, our, our, that sense of fairness that, you know, if you work hard, the sense is that you should be able to create a good life, you know, for you and a, and a family. Like, I think that's a deep-seated Australian dream and that it shouldn't depend on who your parents are. So I think it is really broken and I think it's honestly an area where we've had about... 20 years of just bad policy that sounds good, that's really driven this at all levels of government. And so a big part of that is supply. And so I think the government is right to be incentivising the states trying to increase supply. And it's, to be honest, something I've really been pushing them to do, saying, okay, you know, don't just ask the states, like, put some money on the table and say, you know, you can have some money, but you have to actually build more homes. But then it's not mm. only that. It's also about renters' rights, which, you know, particularly around, you know, longer-term rents and around people raise rents really, really in big jumps. Are there ways of, of just ad- addressing this without a kind of rent freeze or rent cap that the Greens were driving? Because the evidence I've seen on this is that, you know, rent freezes are actually really bad in terms of their sort of good short-term fix, but they actually have really negative long-term consequences, which are kind of in the opposite direction to where we want to go. And then I think we need to look at tax and then a whole bunch of little policy issues, but it's about how can we build better build-to-rent, better social housing, more housing that's affordable. And you're right, it's at all levels of government. It's difficult, but we've got to face this because we're, otherwise we are truly letting down the next generation. I just don't think we can. Well, look, lots more to talk about perhaps in the future. How can people maybe be more involved or be more informed when it comes to these issues. And I'm personally one who is just like the major parties, unfortunately, you got nothing for me, nothing's changing. Um, Like how can we, the people, really look at these really important issues? Look, I think lots of different ways. So depending wherever you live, I'd say write to your MPs about stuff that's important to you. And I know that sounds, if you haven't done it before, it sounds, oh, does that make a difference? But it makes a huge difference. I, every single week I go through the correspondence, what people are writing in and what issues are people worrying about. And it makes a, it certainly makes a big difference to me. And I know it does to other people in parliament. I think also if you're interested in sort of what myself and some of the other like crossbench, I think probably getting different views. So, you know, I do lots on social media. I'd love to hear from you. We do lots of surveys on some of these really important issues. So if you feel like following me on social media or other people in your uh, electorate, other so-called teals or people on the crossbench, because I think the thing about being on the crossbench is you have more freedom to speak up. But regardless of whether you're in my electorate or, or not, I'm always interested in what people are feeling and, you know, what you're genuinely going through. And then I always think, you know, get some good informed debate. You know, I've been following the Grand Institute probably for about 10 plus years. I think they do some really good economic work. If you're interested in economics, E61's a new economist, group of economists. Like it's just trying to get, you know, hearing different views. Um, I always read around the media. So I'll read The Guardian, I'll read The Australian, I'll read The SMH, I'll read The Saturday Paper. Because you do need to actually get a variety of views sort of rather than our one kind of, the, the one group that you know, says everything you like, but then you're not actually hearing the other points of view. So for me, those are some of the things that I try and do. Mm. But get involved. The only reason I'm in parliament is because a bunch of people said, you know what, this isn't good enough. And they got angry, they got involved. They just said, right, 
let's make a difference. Let's not just shout at the TV. And so I think whatever your whatever your shtick, whatever you care about, don't just sit there frustrated. Stand up and do something about it. Work out who's saying stuff you like. Advocate. Talk about it. Get it out there. So you know you can be the change you want to see in the world. And I just firmly, firmly believe that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Allegra Spender, for coming on, talking with all of us. We're always here. You've got our details if you need sample sizes, if you need any on-the-ground information, uh, if you want to jump on and say something or do another little thing like this. We just need to keep the conversation going. And the purpose today, everyone, was not to solve all the problems, but to at least get you thinking and understanding that something has to change in Australia. Yep. Thank you so much. You can follow Allegra on Instagram and all the places. Allegra Spender, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Glenn. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.